now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the planet, we are Red Eye Radio. Good morning. Welcome to the Welcome to the Friday show. And I guess today officially begins the uh Thanksgiving travel. Yeah, uh, uh I saw yesterday we I live in a school zone. It's actually a few we're a few houses down and across the street uh where three of my four went to elementary. It's hard to believe. And I saw yesterday they were getting out early. Uh, and I think they're out today. It may be a teacher work day, but a lot of people basically have uh, it, getting out early today, maybe or whatever. But they're starting that travel today. Uh, it will be crazy if you're headed north out of the Metroplex, our area. You know, just anecdotally over the years, you're going to see the northbound. Now it always is on a Friday. Uh, the outbound traffic is always, you know, bad. But today it will likely start a bit earlier. And that's a lot of the people, some of the people getting out of town early. Yeah, my, my schools have off uh, all of next week. But they're, right, they're, right. They're, yeah. they're, they're, in, uh, they're in today. But the, the, uh, the travel portion of it where they, I think, what do they say, 2.9? No, no, it's going to be more than that. It's whatever. They believe they may have 2.9 million because I think the, the highest – travel day for airplanes is 2.8 that was june of this year june 30th i believe okay. and they believe they may break that one of the days coming up here so and a total of 29.29 29, yes yeah, so and then uh that's by over- car uh they said uh by roads it's somewhere i think 55 million that's a, if you think about it you're getting right. to roughly half of the households that are traveling which means which stands to reason if you're going to see somebody that other person isn't traveling yeah right so yeah so that's 29 million in the air over 11 days yeah right so they're expecting you know to anywhere between you know and i'm sure there two won't point be eight, one problem two, 2.4 and 2.8 well i told you yesterday that up uh, in new york where i'm going on tuesday night because mm. we're here for monday and tuesday right show yeah. of next week but so tuesday night i'm on a plane and uh, they're supposed to. They may get some nasty weather now, mm, and the temperatures in, in Buffalo, now. Yeah. Is, yeah, now it's dip below zero. So, oh, oh. and they're talking about the possibility of some lake effect snow off Lake Erie. So, mm. so yeah. So here right. we go. It's it's winter time. Yeah, but I got nothing to be thankful for anyway. Yeah, I'm not I mean, grateful or thankful for a darn thing. Yeah, just. Get it over with. Let's yeah, just get just, this behind you. Yeah, let's get I it over with. I got things to do. I got I to gotta visit family. I don't want to visit family. Yeah. <laughs> if everybody else is just negative about it. Why is my life the way that it is? What, I've, got nothing to? To be, I've got nothing to be thankful for. Yeah. Wait a minute. I wonder if that exists somewhere. Uh, Probably. I, just, I just thought about that. Has anybody, brought, has anybody written the op-ed piece? There's nothing to be thankful for this Thanksgiving. You know, when you find people that have that that are going through something that is, you know, tremendously difficult, that's when you find most often find the most grace. 
and the most gratitude. And it, I would hope most people are thankful. But you do wonder, you know, how much we truly appreciate things as a society. I mean, with the craziness that we have right now, we talk about people's mentality every single day. You know, if you don't have a true appreciation, if you're not thoughtful in that appreciation every day, then I could see where you're not a grateful person. I could see where that turns into. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed. There's a lot more yawning these days. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And the bad thing about yawning, it's contagious. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that's true. You see somebody else yawn, all of a sudden, you got to yawn. Do you know what helps to curtail the yawning? How about a great night's rest at Motel 6? Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. Truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price you will love when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CPREDEYE, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel 6 and help curtail the yawning. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. The next time you're on Interstate 80, stop in and see the folks at the Iowa 80 Truck Stop at Exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. They're always open and ready to serve you. Enjoy a sit-down meal at the Iowa 80 Kitchen or grab a bite from one of their nine quick-serve restaurants. You'll love their clean restrooms, huge gift store, beautiful convenience store, and, of course, the Super Truck Showroom stocked with plenty of chrome, lights, and more. While you're there... Don't forget to visit the Iowa 80 Trucking Museum next door. It's free. The entire team at the Iowa 80 is very excited to celebrate 60 years with you. They look forward to being your home away from home for another 60 years. Sending you a giant thank you from Iowa 80, the world's largest truck stop on I-80, exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. Iowa 80. I just went to I just went to Google. Mm-hmm. And there was there's a book. It's Thanksgiving, but I have nothing to be thankful for. There you there's go. There's a book. Right. Yeah. And then another one when there's nothing to be thankful for. How can one be thankful when I feel there's nothing to be thankful for? Uh, Chicago sometimes nothing to give thanks on this Thanksgiving. A cynic's view from 2018. I said nothing to be thankful for on this Thanksgiving from 2013. Psychology Today, when you don't feel thankful on Thanksgiving. (laughs) The Daily Mind 2020, being grateful when there seems to be nothing to be thankful for. Wow. I can't imagine. That can't be a good place to live, that kind of mindset. No, it it can't be. No, no, it, it, it can't. Look, there's challenges and problems all the time. You know how I know that? It's my job to talk about it. Mm hmm. Yeah, I I just, um, hmm. I don't know how, because to me it feels instinctual mm-hmm. to be thankful, appreciative. Uh, and, and I don't know. 
maybe it is more so the older you get, the more things you, you go through. Again, uh, the people that are going through the worst of things tend to be the, more, the most graceful and, and the ones with the most gratitude. And I, I look at things, you know, that I, I look back on it and, and think, oh, my gosh, it could be so much worse. My, my end is always to, when I go through those moments of, you know, and, um, reflecting uh, on everything, I tend to say, all right, and of the things that are a concern, how much is in my control? And those are the things I need to myself grab the reins on and, and move forward on. And the other things I can pray about and, and uh, that are not in my control and, and, and then move on from them and not let them be a worry. I mean, look, there's, you could sit and uh, idle time will bring some very destructive things to the mind. Uh, or you could improve your life. You can, you can do things and start with mm-hmm. appreciating where you are and what you have available to you. Well, you know, and, and it, this d- does all relate to the, the essay that we had talked about earlier, the, the young woman that wrote the essay that, uh, uh, you know, she's got to work nine to five and she just can't handle it. She's graduated from college just this spring, probably in May, worked a couple of months, nine to five, and it just shouldn't be this way. Human beings shouldn't have to go through this. And you look at it, you just say, wow, what a horrible perspective of life. Where do you get that from? Mm-hmm. And I think about it, I, I really haven't changed. I, even, as a, even as somebody who was young, I mean, maybe I've changed since a child, but even as a teenager, even when I was in my 20s, even when I wasn't doing what I wanted to do, you know, when I was a machinist and things like that, I still remember the, I still remember that the shift that I worked, and it was when I worked at the, the steel plant, and I, for some reason, I don't know, but it was, you know, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Uh-huh. And then it was Christmas Eve one time at that same plant. It might have been the same year. But I just remember walking from my machine, and it was a huge plant that I worked in. I mean, they've got overhead cranes. There's probably like 15 different buildings, overhead cranes that would bring the parts to your machine and all this. And it was completely quiet. You didn't even hear the number one when you would walked in. You'd always hear the radios. You hear the yeah. machines, right. the backgrounds of the machines, and you hear the radio. And it was nothing. I was one of the last people there. Mm. And I just remember walking out and clocking out one time on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving and the um, uh, and uh, the and Christmas Eve. And it was just so quiet. And to me, I always look back at it. Those are the those are moments you don't think you're going to remember for the rest of your life. But I have. And I it, when I look at it, it this is like. Uh, uh, 42 years ago that that mm-hmm. and it's such a clear mm-hmm. moment in my mind. And it was, it was a spiritual moment. It really was. Yeah. It was just, yeah. just the quietness. And it was like, okay, Thanksgiving's coming. And then it was, then it's Christmas Eve. And it was just so, and I, when I walked out, you know, I remember walking in, you know, clocking out, walking into the locker room, changing, and then walking out and just a security guard there, light snow falling it was an extremely spiritual moment, and I was very grateful for everything that I had in my life, and and so I'm. That's one thing I'm always that I'm happy about that I always was in the moment. That's one thing I could, you know, if I'm sitting on my deathbed someday, I can look back and go, 
I was grateful for every moment. I really appreciate it. I don't have any regrets. I did. Did I do wrong? Did I uh, do things wrong? Yeah. Uh, did I own up to them? Eventually, yeah. I became an adult. <laughs> might have. My parents might have looked at it and goes, "It took you too long to get there." But yeah. But I look back and say, um, I was always I was always grateful and lived you know in that moment, and I was always appreciative. I knew when I was young there were. And they always say that when that the death of someone close to you can have positive impacts. Yeah. And my cousin, who I was very close to the year before he died, died at 17 of leukemia. Mm-hmm. And we got very close the last year. Mm-hmm. We weren't as close until he got sick. And the last year we got really close and had many conversations. Then when I was, uh, I would have been... 32 years old, um, I had uh, another, I had uh, my uh, my old radio partner die. And he died of testicular cancer, and that was horrible. But yeah. both of them made me appreciate life. Death made me appreciate life. And then when I got to be 42 years old, I had another best friend die. And that's the friend that I talk about that died of, of uh, a drug overdose. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the one that got into he got into coke and uh, took a hit of crack and was at work and and died because of it. And I had to stop hanging out with him, but we were close at one time. But that I still have his funeral card that's mm-hmm. laminated, mm-hmm. and it's him holding his two daughters. Yeah, and I go by and I look at it, and I just I shake my head because of the waste right. of it, and that uh, his two daughters didn't have a father. But then I also realize how precious life is and how easy it can be taken away from the people that I know that it's been taken away from, and I realize how blessed I am at that point. And that's just on a basic level. That's got nothing to do with career. That has nothing to do with anything except I'm alive and have had so many life experiences that that in itself is enough to be grateful for. Yeah. The career, anything, the, the, the career, anything else that I ever did in my life, yes, it can add to it, but I'm happy with just that portion of it. Right. That sure. I lived. Mm-hmm. And was and was relatively healthy, you know, my entire life, you know, as till now, mm-hmm. uh, because I know how horrible horrible it is when you get sick, yeah, how sure. it changes your mental attitude and everything else. Mm-hmm. So I view just life being healthy as this incredible gift to be grateful for before you get to anything else. Yeah, and so I'm glad. I don't know how where I got that attitude from. I don't know. Uh, you know, my parents would probably say, just be grateful for life. But how much did I really pay attention to my parents when they would tell me something when I was young? Mm-hmm. And so that is something that I could look at just on that basic level. And then you look at everything else. I mean, I talk about, you know, now just going above and beyond that, you know, having my dad alive, having my parents. Think about this, having my parents alive until I was at retirement age. Mm-hmm. My mom was alive until I reached retirement age. Mm-hmm. How many people does that happen to? Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't. And so you look at that and you just go, I have to, you know, appreciate the gifts that I have. And so when I see when I see that woman, I feel sorry for her. I actually do. I mean, I have I actually have uh, some compassion because to, where do you get that? That's taught for somebody to say, my life sucks because I have to work nine to five. And it's I also and, lack of conditioning, because if if, if you look at. A generation, I don't know how many generations now, where uh, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what her home life was like when she was a child. But you look at now, um, 
where we are with public schools and, and universities. Mm-hmm. And basically, you're a victim. We're, we're going to teach you to be a victim. And you're a victim for a different reason every day. And you're going to get full credit just for being here, for being you. You're going to get full credit. You should just uh, essentially, you know, be rewarded with a, particip- a lifetime participation trophy. And you, un- it, you, what lacks is the conditioning that you should have, the proper conditioning that says, you're going to lose and you're going to lose a lot until you learn how to win. And a young Michael Jordan was taught that he wasn't a great basketball player when he was a kid. And then he is arguably one of the greatest of all time. Some will tell you the greatest of all time. Those are the things that where you want to excel in life, you're going to have to learn to lose. You can look at look at dealing the, with a loss. Look at Seinfeld, the le, the the rejection letter, and then the letter of the analysis of the first pilot. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and this is the worst. And if you knew how many comedians went through that, how many yeah. how, how many stand up comedians over the years that have done pilots, they Maybe. get development deals that are you know you get a half a million these days for a development deal. Mitch Hedberg got a development deal, and talked about the fact that Jason Alexander. And Michael Richards just weren't funny. Right. <laughs> yeah. And he, and so he, he framed it, you know, because right. that's what, and it was like, but he just went through life. We just continue doing it. We just well, continue doing it, continue doing it, continue doing it. We're not going to give up until they, until they kick us out. We're just going to keep going, keep um, going, keep going. It's that time of year to talk about the movie Die Hard. Alan Rickman. Yeah. A scathing review by the studio execs that were on the set while the movie was being made. <laughs> Wanted him removed from the movie. One of the greatest bad guys of all time. Oh, no, you're right. And, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, those are the things you're going to, there's going to be a ton of rejection. And what this young person is, is dealing with, that's nothing compared to what's going to come her way that everybody deals with throughout their lifetime. And it's part of growing up and being an adult. After they were, you know, had worked out the the first the pilot for Married with Children, mm-hmm. the executives told uh, Ed O'Neill, mm-hmm. "We've got the woman, but you're not the right guy." Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. is there anybody that you could nope. imagine that could have played no. that role no. of a man who just no. had given up on life? No. You know, just given up, had that no. attitude. Nothing's going to get it, better, it but still been, strived every day. It would have been cheesy. It wouldn't have been what it yeah. became. It's, nope. I, I can't imagine Iconic. anybody else playing that role, right. and they completely and totally rejected him. But then it was uh, the the uh, the producers. I can't think of their name, mm-hmm. Moye and the other guy that said, "No, we're sticking with him." Right. They, and they and the response was, "It's your funeral." Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And here we are. Yeah. Eight six six ninety red eye. This morning's USDA Farm Report is brought to you by House Products, tested, trusted, guaranteed since nineteen twenty. The number of cattle, especially heifers, being sent to slaughter or to feedlots has continued to increase over the last few months. And one analyst says, of course, higher cow slaughter and, and higher placements now, it just means that even further down the line, it's going to continue to tighten up supplies. So much so that for 2024, USDA Outlook Board Chairman Mark Jekinowski says, What we are expecting to see for the coming year is a fairly sharp reduction year over year in beef production, so down about a billion pounds. 
or about a 4% decline in production at 25.8 billion pounds. And that, of course, is likely to bring on what Mark calls really very historically high steer prices. USDA currently projecting steer prices next year to average almost $185 a hundredweight. That would be up 4% from the already high prices we've been seeing this year. Consumer beef prices are already running about 9% higher than a year ago. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. This report brought to you by Cenex Fuels and Lubes. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Coming up, find the bottom of uh, the hour, the Major League Baseball All-Star Game going back to Atlanta. Wait a minute. I thought it was Jim uh, Crow. Well, never mind. Let's move on to the next thing. We're not going to pay attention yeah. to that. It'll be Bubble of today. will be interesting to see whether you have any response from Democrats today on that. I was thinking there would be some yesterday, yeah. you know, when the story yeah. broke, but I didn't see any. Yep. Uh, also, uh, you know, you, you see that that New York judge lifts the Trump gag order. I'm looking at this civil trial. I, what's this going to do if, because I, the judge already said he's guilty. So I believe the judge is going to find him guilty. Right. Yeah. It's just, you know, how much, what penalty they're going to have for right, him. Right. How's that I just go? wonder how this is going to do on appeal. Yeah. I just think there's so many openings for appeal that Trump has on this. Yeah. Call in and get a word in edgewise. Eric Harley and Gary McNamara on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. So uh, going through a bunch of different stories, the New York judge lifts a Trump gag order in the civil fraud trial over free speech uh, concerns. Uh, you know, there's there's really so much here when you look at this. I mean, the the judge's statements that he that he has uh, uh, made. I go back to the, the even before the trial started mm-hmm. when the judge got wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, when when you had so many in commercial real estate come out and say what the judge said about Mar-a-Lago and what it was worth is insane. Yeah, it's not even close. million. Right, it's not it's not even close. And so you look at that to begin with, and we've always thought that the the uh, the law. The fraud law, I believe, is applied here to Trump. I believe I may be missing something on it, but I believe it may be unconstitutional. Yeah, I, I think it could be. Right. I mean, it goes back to a Lehman case is where they were, uh, where they cited that precedent, and and I think it it might be, and and also in appeals as you mentioned before. I don't know how you look at how this judge has behaved. And because it, it sounds as crazy as some of the stuff we were hearing from Judge Sullivan and the Michael Flynn case. Uh, this prejudgment judgment. Basically, ah, you're guilty and I'll decide what to do about it later. Oh, yeah. Now we'll have the uh, the whole hearing and the trial. What? Well, and the judge using 
the Mar-a-Lago appraisal as evidence of his guilt. Yeah, well, exactly. And he was so far off on that. You know, you and I have talked about this, but the uh, the appraisal process, especially if you talk about a, a property like Mar-a-Lago, first of all, not only is it celebrity-owned, we're talking about the marketplace where what people would be willing to pay. Celebrity-owned, president-owned property, mm-hmm. prime property in Florida. This is not a shack we're talking about. Prime property, $18 million. It's, it's like Donald Trump Jr. tweeted. It's like, $18 million, Are you kidding me? Well, then, in that case, give me five of them. Give me ten of them. Implying that it's probably worth, it could be worth uh, as much as $200 million. You look at some of the houses, or not houses, but properties in that area. And the, ju- the judge did not do any work when it came to comps. None. Uh, in uh, other news, Major League Baseball going to uh, have... Uh, move the All-Star game to Atlanta in 2025 following an owner's meeting. Yep. We all we all know the story behind that. Yep. They had it a few years back, what, in 2020? And the, uh, was it 2020? Uh, was it 20 no, or 21? No, 20, 21. Was 21, 21, yeah. Okay. April 21, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's right, because nothing take, took place in 2020. Right. Yeah, so it was April of 21 when they, they moved it three months before the actual All-Star game mm-hmm. because of the president and the Democrats screaming and Stacey Abrams screaming that it was Jim Crow 2.0, Jim Crow on steroids. Yeah, the election, the yeah. new election laws in, and, in, right. in, uh, in Georgia. In Georgia, and we said they're absolute liars on that. And yep. we accused them, the president and Stacey Abrams, of being just like any type of hate group leader yep. who would lie about something in order to enrage the races against each other. And that's exactly what they did. And it was reprehensible. It was disgusting what the president did and what Stacey Abrams did at that point that ended up, as it was brought later on, hurt a ton of local black businesses that would have made money. Yep. Yeah. And they lied about it in order to create hatred based on a lie. Right. Reprehensible. Other news, this is really interesting. Mm. One of Canada's most prominent indigenous icons might not be indigenous after all, according to new media reports. Buffy St. Marie, who is considered the first indigenous person to win an Oscar, has always claimed to be an Indian born in Canada who was then adopted by an American couple and raised near Boston. The singer-songwriter is known for his uh, appearance on, or her appearance on Sesame Street and was commemorated on a Canadian postage stamp and performed for Queen Elizabeth II. CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Company, conducted an investigation into St. Marie and uh, based on public records and interviews including with family members of the songwriter. The 82-year-old icon has said that she was born uh, on a reservation in Saskatchewan and adopted as an infant by a white family in Massachusetts. 
but a birth certificate says she was born Beverly Jean Santa Maria to parents of Italian and English ancestry in the United States. The investigation documented contradictory statements that St. Marie has made about her indigenous past, including articles from early in her career in which she was described as being from different Native groups. Mm. But Heidi St. Marie, the daughter of uh, St. Marie's older brother, told CBC that the family didn't believe that she was indigenous. She wasn't born in Canada. She was clearly born in the United States. She's not indigenous or Native American. Nobody ever, except for Buffy, ever talked about Buffy being adopted, she said. CBC said her claim is supported by documents obtained by the news organization, Hmm. including her birth certificate, which says uh, she was born a white female in Massachusetts to Albert and Winfred Santa Maria in 1941. Wow. An entire massive career in Canada. All based on a lie. Apparently, yeah. Wow. I'm wondering why her family didn't say anything before. That's a great point. That would be the question I would have. Why was it quiet until now? Why wouldn't you speak up then? And who blew the whistle on her now? From what I gathered in the stories that I read, it was basically her, who is it, her niece, her brother's Her daughter, niece, yeah. That. Well, I don't know. I don't I, know. If, I'm I don't not know sure if the if CB, the I don't first. know. If, yeah, I, I couldn't figure out if, if she went to the CBC or the CBC interviewed her because they, they got a tip. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I don't know which right. way it went there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. All right, here we go. New poll out. These are numbers that I I don't know. I'm I'm gonna have to go back and look. And again, they're just they're polling, and so. But, the new Fox News poll: seventy eight percent rate the economy negatively. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't ever remember. Maybe it did happen in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. I don't know. Uh, but I you don't mean, do you mean the numbers being that high? Yes. Yeah, 78% negative numbers, yeah. negative numbers for the mm. economy and the majority, the majority say the worst is not over. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that the worst is not over because I don't believe that it's clear now that the, uh, but I've said all along, I don't believe the fed is serious about getting on top of inflation. And, you know, the entire goal in raising interest rates is to slow the economy down. So if they're doing it right, if they're doing it right, it means we'll go to a likely go to a recession. And that means it's going to get worse. So I don't think it's over. You know, the problem that he has. Not even independence among Democrats. Hmm. Nearly half don't believe the worst is over. 
Mm. And a majority thinks the economy is in bad shape. 59% of Democrats and most are worried about inflation. 84% of Democrats. Mm. Yeah. You know what that means? They need to send the president and Karine Jean-Pierre and John Kirby out more talking about how the economy is great and inflation is actually good. Remember, that was one of their first defenses. Inflation's inflation is great. Inflation is great. It means people are spending more money. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's so stupid. But they did it. That's what they said. Uh, and I'm, I think that was because he was in, in in that had to be like when it started going up September or October of 21. Yeah. Is when I, we first heard that when we we're like, what? No, inflation's really good. It shows that people are spending more money because inflation's up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My God, they didn't have a handle on it from the very beginning, did they? If they use no. that as an excuse. No. no. Like, what? You're really going to go with that, huh? Well, again, they didn't li- listen to Lawrence Summers, an Obama advisor, who said, don't pass that one, you know, uh, huge $1.9 trillion package. Uh, don't, don't do that one because that one, that's the one that's really going to catapult us into inflation that we haven't seen in generations. And it did. But it makes me wonder what the mindset is. I mean, I, I just have to wonder what, what is in people's minds. Every single day I'm, I'm going through this whole, well, what were you thinking? How did you think this was going to happen? What did you think would happen? And when you walk around, you know, in um, a unicorn world, you just paint whatever picture in your mind. It'll be fine. Everything's going to be fine. Well, you can give a different opinion. You can sit there and go, well, no, I think the Republicans are exaggerating on the border. Mm. Right? Yeah, right. And I sort of believe Biden's trying his hardest to do it. You can't do that with inflation, can you? There's no way. Because no. you're feeling it every day. Yeah, there's you no way. You know it. Yeah, you, you can. Yeah, no, that's a good point. You can be removed from the border situation. Right. And say, well, you know, the media's playing it up with what's happening and all the major blue cities and every border town in America. Uh, and, you know, that, <laughs> yeah. But you, if you're removed from it, you, you have that plausible deniability factor built in to your side of the argument. You're still going to be defeated probably, but you could still go, eh, it's not that bad. Inflation, and we talked about this with the liberal media. Well, the liberal activist reporter that we talk about all the time, they're having to deal with inflation, too. And they're living in major metro areas most often. Mm-hmm. So that inflation is compounding on top of the high cost of living in those areas to begin with. Not all the reporters in the White House press corps are making millions of dollars. They're, they're, yeah, very few are right. the stars. Yeah. And so... They're sitting there and they're having to deal with it. You know, the members, by the way, the members of Congress are too. 
the Democrat well, members of Congress. Wasn't there? You know, complaint? They're, they're making what? A little under 200,000. Oh, yeah. a leadership position. Right, right. Which you may say is a lot of money. But when you have to have a house in your home district and a house there, as you know, they were even bunk before inflation hit. Remember the stories of them bunking? Because they were like, that's why we need a raise, because we don't have enough money. Somebody, who was it? Was it Paul Ryan back in the day, sleeping in his office, or somebody said, and they were like, hey, can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> don't some, sleep in your couch. Somebody was sleeping in their office. Yeah. And, but it's enormously expensive inside the Beltway. Enormously expensive. 866-90-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carly, and I'm Gary McNamara. You know, we're ta- talking about inflation, how you can't get away from it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, members of Congress that, uh, you know, have slept in their, uh, you know, in their offices right. uh, before and how expensive it is. <laughs> They're saying here Business Insider, again, a reference to Business Insider <laughs> this week. They were the first one that came up on Google when I put in Congress people who sleep in their offices. Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, they say does not have a house. They believe he sleeps in his Capitol Hill office. Third in line to the president in order to save money. Yep. It's always it's always been expensive, but I can't imagine what it's like now with the rent in D.C. My sister and her husband live there, and my uh, brother-in-law makes incredible money. But the rent, they said, was just so expensive. Yep. Two lawmakers with nearby offices told Insider this week they believe Johnson sleeps in his office wow. on Capitol Hill. Third in line. Yeah. Grab a blanket, hit the couch. Yeah. Wow. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Movies, TV shows, books, podcasts, and more. It's what women binge with Melissa Joan Hart and her friend Amanda Lee. We have Lauren Bosworth with us. Yay! The Hills. So what is like your number one question from fans? The primary question I still get asked was, what, is it real? <laughs> In 2024, to me, is a surprising question to get because I feel like everybody has been through the reality TV gauntlet at this point. What women binge wherever you listen. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. 